Hello and welcome to Amplify, supporting young amputees, the Limbless Association's podcast that answers all your questions about life as an amputee. The Limbless Association is a long-standing user-led national charity that's been supporting lives beyond limb loss for over 38 years. We're here for amputees, their friends and family, clinicians and anyone who is interested in what it's really like to be an amputee. Our services include our helpline, volunteer visitor peer support, support and connect hubs, virtual events, our Young Ambassador programme, quarterly Step Forward magazine and so much more. I'm your host, Ella Dove. I'm an author, journalist and Limbless Association trustee and Young Ambassador lead. In 2016, I lost my right leg below the knee following a freak accident tripping over while out running. The Limbless Association was there for me throughout, helping me to feel supported, encouraged and empowered. To join the Limbless Association's community, connect with us on social media or visit our website at www.limbless-association.org. So welcome to today's discussion when we're going to be talking about body image. So when you look in the mirror, what do you see? When it comes to our appearance, we all have good days and bad days. And this perception of ourselves is a huge determiner of both our mood and our confidence. When you lose a limb, your body changes. It makes sense, therefore, that your body image does too. When I first lost my leg, for example, I would avoid the mirror at all costs. I couldn't even look at my stump, let alone touch it. For all amputees, self-acceptance is a journey and it's an ongoing process. And so to talk about this in more detail, I'd like to introduce you to today's guest. Firstly, we have Leanne Forrest. Hello. Oh, hello, Leanne. (laughs) Leanne is the Limbless Association's Manchester Hub Coordinator. Leanne was born with spina bifida, which left her with very little sensation in her right leg. She became a baloney amputee as a child after contracting a bone infection. However, at the age of 18, the loss of sensation in her stump created complications that meant she needed an above-knee amputation. For many years, Leanne hid the fact that she was an amputee, only deciding to come out openly and display her prosthetic leg two years ago. So thanks for joining us, Leanne. Hi, thank you. And secondly, we have Angie Hobson. Hi, Angie. Hi there. So Angie is a specialist counsellor in amputee rehabilitation. Before specialising in amputees, she worked in a broad variety of areas, including project management of an NHS counselling service for young people, working as a service lead and senior counsellor, managing a child and young people's bereavement service and working as a counsellor at a hostel for homeless men in Manchester City Centre. So Angie, I'm going to start with you today. So tell us, is is low body confidence something you see often when it comes to amputees? And what are the main things that people kind of tend to struggle with when it comes to their body image? Yes, hi. Thank you for inviting me to speak today. Um, I, I think... If we're looking at younger people, if we're identifying younger people in general, I think any change in body shape or any kind of difference at all has a huge impact, especially in young people who are maybe in a transitional period between sort of teenage years and young adult years. And there's a there's a huge influence on how an amputee will view themselves because anyway they're bound to be that there's that judging aspect of I don't fit in um they judge themselves through the eyes of other people 
you know, that's instead of seeing themselves as they really are, or they've made some adjustments, they're looking at themselves and by how they perceive their peer group to judge them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and that has a, a huge impact on how they judge themselves. It affects their confidence, it affects their self-esteem, affecting how they communicate with other people, how they feel they're different and they then can become more isolated, start to withdraw and just generally feeling less than. Yeah. And so as a therapist, then, how do you encourage amputees to work through these issues? Talk us through the kind of process from when you first meet someone. Okay, so I think it differs from person to person, obviously, because there's a huge difference in everybody's background, everybody's culture, life stages. And I think one of the things is helping a person to give themselves time to come to terms with the surgery and what their particular story, what's happened to them. There's a difference in, for example, in somebody who's maybe had illness or something that's been maybe a planned procedure and they've had time to adjust and work up to. And then, of course, there's the other side of things where something's been very sudden and life-changing very quickly and they've not had any time at all to get ready and prepare. So those are big factors to take into account, especially when, you know, it's something that has literally swept somebody away. It's like a tidal wave of change and... And even even for a planned procedure, people can feel that that sense of helplessness and and things being out of the control. So I think to make a connection with somebody is is a really important part of the therapeutic process, but also to get an understanding of how that person is actually feeling themselves. So I'd take time to get the background, to get to gather the information and also to talk about the process because we're we're looking at confidentiality, consent, what's led a person to get some sort of counselling support or therapeutic input. You know, is that what, is that a choice for them or is somebody talking them into it because they think it would be really good for them? But actually, that's not just where they are at the moment. But also then to to sort of flip it over towards the end. So at the beginning, we're already looking at the end. We're looking at what we're working towards. What is the point of this? You know, what what do you actually want to get out of it? What, What are your goals? What's important to you? And that, you know, for younger people, it's about adjusting in school and education, college, university, work, and what, what are your aspirations for the future? What are your hopes? And I think you can't offer as a therapist a one-size-fits-all. It's absolutely impossible. I think it's about tailoring support to individual need and having kind of a wraparound service. Sometimes that includes a wider multidisciplinary team, so that could involve other people involved in rehab. Um, within confidentiality boundaries um, and also looking at drawing on that wider support network too. Who else is around? You know, who else can offer you support? Therapy might be maybe one hour a week, something like that. What are you doing the rest of the time? You know, what can you look for? Um, 
change, you know, changing that view of this is it. This is me as I am now. This is how I'm going to be forever. And actually, well, I don't, you know, is that is that really the case? Or could you actually at this point give yourself the chance to think that actually there's something better ahead? And so, Leanne, for you then, like obviously many amputees, you've been on a kind of journey to make peace with your body and the way you look. So tell me, first of all, when you first became an amputee, when you became a baloney amputee, did you struggle with body image then at a young age? No, I was... Um... I was nine, ten years old, so the um, I kind of got the confidence from the hospital when I was being fitted with my new leg. I was with a lot of old elderly people, a lot of older people. So for them watching me, they were amazed, like, "Wow, she's you know this young little girl, and she's she's doing it." So I just it it made that made me more determined, and I just kind of got on with it. Um, and I think being younger, it did it did help because um, you're more resilient to a lot of things, aren't you? You don't, I want to say you don't get many comments from other people, but I did once I'd got, you know, back into school um, I moved schools as well, not long after I'd had a, my amputation. So I was, uh, I wasn't only the new girl, but I was the new girl with one leg as well. So um, primary school became uh, a bit of a hard time for me, really. But still, I never thought then that I was bothered about how I looked. I suppose being that little bit younger as well, you don't have as much interest in what you're wearing at first. Mm. Uh, it was only when I became in my teens and you're experimenting with your clothing and going out and um, obviously at high school, you know, getting boyfriends and things. And that's when it started to started to affect me then. But because I'd already had it for so many years, I just kind of always had this mindset, oh, I've, I've just got to get on with it. Like you say, that is who I am, but I've, I've just got to get on with it. So I just kind of always put it to the back of my mind, really. Yeah. And so when was it that you started kind of hiding it by wearing, I don't know, like longer trousers and things like that? When I was at high school, I didn't want to wear a short skirt. So before we started, my mum asked if I could wear a long skirt or if I could wear trousers. But at that time, trousers weren't part of our school uniform. So they wouldn't let me. They said I had to wear a short skirt or I had to wear a long skirt, but my uniform was bottle green. So try and find a <laughs> bottle green long skirt that didn't make me stand out even more was a bit a bit of a task. But we found one. But then that kind of made it worse because it was like I was the only girl with a long skirt. Why was I wearing that? So mm. I think it was probably year eight, year nine, I decided, well, we wore long socks. So I just decided in the summer holidays, right, I'm going back in a short skirt and long socks. But because I was a baloney, I had like a, you know, like a support sock over your knee joint. So it looked like anybody who'd, you know, sprained their knee or anything, you know, like a tubey grip. Mm, so, yeah. so that was my way of hiding it then. But I, then I found it harder to hide in clothes that you went out in after, you know, outside of school. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wear a skirt or shorts outside of school, but I'd wear the skirt for school. That you know, trousers had to be loose fitting because I didn't want them tight around my leg. So that was, I think it was definitely into my teens when I started to shy away from it and not mm. want people to know really. 
And so tell me about going from being a below knee to an above knee amputee. Was it kind of a case, did you feel in some ways you were sort of starting all over again or what was that like? Yeah, my age was a massive impact on it. At 18, you're becoming a woman, you're entering into adulthood. So making it the full leg, immediately your mobility is you know, hindered, you have to start. I felt like I was starting all over again that way. And it just changed the way I felt. I hated because I'd gone from having a knee joint and being quite, still quite active, but I just had this full leg. I felt unattractive. It felt bulky. Obviously, they are bulky at first when you, you know, you're getting used to it and your stump's changing and things. But the way I walked, it, walking past a shop window, if I glimpsed, you know, at myself, that immediately go into myself I didn't want to I wouldn't want to go past that window again I wouldn't look at myself and then I think because of what I'd already been through in school the way the way of bullying I already had a feeling of worthlessness you know I already felt ugly compared to the others Uh, so then this big bulky full-length leg just didn't help at all so yeah the only way to make me feel like everybody else or a little bit attractive was to hide it completely and luckily at the time uh, jeans loose fitting jeans were in the kind of combat trousers were in so that's what you'd find me in really. And so Angie when people come to you with those kind of concerns you know looking in the mirror and having problems with that how do you help people to kind of combat that and come to terms and sort of find that place of acceptance yeah I think again it's looking at things on an individual basis for that person so for example you know like Leon said Uh, one of the things is catching sight of yourself in maybe a shop window or just a mirror or something where somebody has unexpectedly seen themselves and and um and I think it's it's looking at the deeper concerns it's going to be a process of change and coming to terms there's no magic formula here and it's being able to recognize that and actually turning the heat down a bit and allowing yourself time to have those adjustments but actually looking at the core of right well what are my thoughts and where are they coming from and are you going that bit too far with these thoughts? So you're you're looking at yourself and seeing yourself a certain way, but then you're going that extra bit where you're going, right, well, so I'm seeing myself and then somebody else is going to see myself and then they're going to think this about me. Mm-hmm. And it's just way, way too, too far. And sometimes, you know, you may be right. Yes, people are very rude and they do and say things that are quite inappropriate. And generally speaking, most people tend to come from quite a good place, but they're just ill-judged comments or they're, remarks that are made where not a lot of thought has gone into it and that but it's about building you know Leanne mentioned resilience it's about building resilience isn't it and about being able to feel a certain way no matter what and if those are the things that are in your control and those are the things you can really work on to build up on your confidence but it's a slow slow process and that's taking that heat off yourself again and allowing yourself right I'm going to work on this it's a work in progress some days I'm going to have 
I'm much better today than others. But actually, this is today. And how do I feel about myself today? If this is a rough day, well, actually, that's what it is. But tomorrow might not be. And it's about being able to allow yourself that thought, you know, not every day is going to be ruined by this. So I catch this image of myself and this is how I see myself. And this is me now setting storm fix forever well do you know what it's not and the only thing you can truly control is yourself and how you react to certain situations and you know it might sound a bit cheesy and a bit trite but you know being kind to yourself as well and you know it's a massive big deal when I I look at situations with my patients and I talk through certain situations where they've really judged themselves so harshly yet if that was somebody else they would be giving themselves lots of kindness and care and concern and and compassion actually we we know we're so hard on ourselves we don't allow ourselves that that same compassion and kindness so it's looking at each situation and sometimes I think, uh, you know, maybe a cognitive behavioural type of therapy is quite good where you look at an ABC model with A being what is the situation? What's what's worrying me? What, you know, what's the trigger here? What have I seen? What, what's happened? The big one is the B. Oh, what do I believe? What do I believe about this? Do I believe that I'm worthless? Do I believe that I'm unattractive? You know, what is the belief? And then the consequence is usually avoidance or trying to hide away or you know, separating ourselves. And that and and once you can start to break these things down into manageable chunks, then mostly you can start to address them and, and, and do something about it. Mm, yeah, definitely. And so Leanne, you mentioned that it was only two years ago that you decided to we use this phrase come out as an amputee. Yeah. <laughs> um so tell me about that. What was what was the kind of trigger for that? And talk me through that kind of thought process. Oh, you know, you hear people say like that things, you know, happened overnight and it, it literally did for me. I'd been going to my clinic for a couple of weeks and they'd said that, you know, they wanted to trial the new uh, sea leg for me because it had come on the NHS and it'd be more suited to my lifestyle. And it did. It, I was a bit hesitant at first. I knew that it would look different and the day I went for it she said you know they gave me the leg I trialed it I was fine I was walking up and down the corridor and because it was just the socket and then the obviously the metal the pole well it's a bit more technical than that but (laughs) that's how I saw it and um, I I said well can we put a foam on it and she said well no because you're gonna detract from the work it's gonna do for you so it worked better without. So I thought, well, I, I, I was going to get my son some new shoes after the hospital appointment. And I said, well, I can't I can't go out like this. And I'll have to have my other one back. I need time to get used to it. Obviously, they give you your old one back in case there was any problems, but they didn't really want to give it me. They wanted me to, you know, walk out with it and, and be proud. But I just I just couldn't. I, I said I wasn't ready for it. They couldn't believe a, a couple. I spoke to a physio while I was having it done, and she said in all the years that she's seen me, she couldn't believe. Obviously, I'd hidden it so well that, you know, I was bothered by having the artificial leg in the first place. So I took it home. 
and um, showed my husband and had a walk with it. And he said, you, you're doing well already. I said, well, I'm not going out. I'm not going out with this. I can't, <laughs> I can't. And I basically cried myself to sleep that night. I think I just think, I just think, what are other people going to say? What are other people going to look at me like? And because like you say, when you look in the mirror, I was just seeing the sea. I was just seeing, I wasn't seeing anything else about me. I was just seeing me and my leg and that was it it didn't matter how I'd done my hair you know I might have bought some new makeup it was just me and this leg so I woke up the next day and it was it was on charge in the corner of my bedroom and I I was just sat there looking at it kind of expecting it to jump at me I think I don't know I was just right and I just thought I've I've got to do this I've I've got to I've got to change the way I'm thinking because it's just it's just taking so much of my mind. It's eating. It's eating me inside. I'm, I'm more worried about that before anything else. I think having my children has definitely has, has definitely played a big part for me because they're obviously teenagers now, and I I was ashamed of the way I looked. I was ashamed ashamed of the way I walked, and I didn't want them to start thinking. You know, I didn't want them to have a comment at school about your mum and them be bothered. I wanted them to be proud of, you know, their mum with one leg. They needed to see that it doesn't matter that people have got differences and there's so many people that have and mm. it seems the new normal. I just, mm. yeah, I, we were going out for lunch and um, I'd, I'd put my shorts on. I'd bought a pair of shorts. It was August. So that that was my first step, I suppose, buying the shorts. Mm. Um, and I'd put them on and I, I took a picture of myself in the mirror and then I wrote this Kind of, while I was getting ready, I kind of wrote a spiel, and I thought I'm gonna put it on Instagram. I was I was fairly new to Instagram, and all my it was more of a social friends and things. I didn't follow any other amputees or anything, and because you do sometimes feel like you're the only one. You, you know, you might see the odd person on TV when you're not when you least expect it. But obviously, when you go to clinic, you see people. But I was straight in clinic, had my appointment and straight back out. And I never gave myself time to talk to other people to maybe if I'd listened to other people and other people's stories, I'd have found it a little bit easier. But I just hid everything about it. So going back to that morning, I'd kind of typed out a bit of a spiel. I thought, I, I think for me, I thought if I put the picture on Instagram first with a few you know, this is why I've done this. This is, this is me now. I thought, I thought in myself, it would help me that people have seen me there. People that I know have seen me on Instagram first before they've actually seen me in the street. And I, I think I thought people would look at me and be shocked, but it was completely the opposite. So we'd gone out for lunch and I, I still hadn't pressed post I hadn't put it on uh, and it was actually one of my sons that read it and saw the picture and he said are you going to post it I said I don't know I said I've done it now that's one step for me I've, I've kind of talked about it and whilst we were sat at the table little did I know but he pressed post and he did it for <laughs> me so we only went for lunch about 10 minutes down the road and by the time we got back the comments and the the, can we share this picture and because of the, the different hashtags I'd put and things like that the amount of people that were following me already or the amputees it, it was just it was crazy really um but that definitely changed it for me and my platform on Instagram changed and it opened up a whole new 
world of amputees that I didn't know were out there because I didn't let myself, didn't open myself to see it. So, um, yeah, the feedback was amazing. And that, and that's where it all started, really, that morning. Mm, yeah. And so, obviously, for Leanne, it was the shorts. And I, we, for me, it was skinny jeans. I had a bit of a thing about skinny jeans. Um, so I wanted to ask you, actually, Angie, why is it that these small things seem so big? And, you know, it's the kind of small things that or, that amputees sometimes do fixate on, and mm. you know, like an item of clothing. What, why is that? And, yeah. and yeah, they seem to sort of not be able to get over certain things. I think it's, it's the importance, isn't it? It's the importance we give to, to them. So although we say small things, actually, sometimes they are a big deal. You know, if you if you want to look a certain way or you want to wear something, then it, it is a, it's a big issue to you or you know to anyone if they want to have an item of clothing or what whatever it is. It I, I guess it's not dismissing that and and looking at actually you know why why does it matter so much? What what is it about this? this particular thing that matters so much to me and then like Leanne said she she's had to make different changes she's had to she's had she's gone through so many different stages massive stages you know from a a young child to where she is now going through all those ordinary stages of change where you know we we look at certain things and we want to be a certain way and she's tried to to adapt and fit in right through to that whereas some press that send up you know on Instagram and she's got the confidence to to be who she is now so I think it, you know it's a wider it's a wider thing it's a wider issue I had one patient who had I'd um, always wanted this particular make of trainers that were really beyond the family's budget and it was something that she she desperately wanted and she'd never been able to have. And then following a surgery and following an amputation, you know, she, there'd been a, a sort of influx of money and people had wanted to treat her and support her and she'd she'd got the trainers. And the trainers became this massive, massive issue for her because she didn't want them then. She had the one trainer, not the two trainers. And that that was like, it, it was a whole thing about the trainers. I wanted the trainers. I got the trainers. Now I don't want the trainers. Right through to that process of actually being able to make the trainers into this real, almost a comedy sketch, you know, where she could laugh and tell this story about them. And, and and you know, it was actually very amusing. But at the time, at the start of it, it was truly heartbreaking listening to how such a young person had, had actually got these, these trainers that had been so massive to her. And then how she was heartbroken about seeing the other trainer right through to, you know, being able to then talk about the trainers and laugh about them and, and, and making it into, you know, something. So she'd taken the power out of out of that situation away, the, the, the hurt. You can say that these things shouldn't be that important, but I, I would say, well, why not if they are to you? Yeah. 
Definitely. And another area of body image which does concern a lot of amputees is romantic relationships. So, for example, I was single when I lost my leg and I had to navigate the world of online dating as an amputee, which is obviously very difficult. Um, And, you know, there were times where, like Leanne, I would hide my leg or there were times where I have a high definition silicon leg. I'm lucky enough to have that. So I would wear that and people wouldn't necessarily know I was an amputee, but I was kind of hiding a part of myself. Um, So let's talk about that a bit. I mean, obviously, so now I two years on, I've now got a boyfriend. and But I still remember even with him, you know, the first time taking my leg off in front of him, it was a real thing. And the body image, I mean, without, it's maybe an overshare, but the first time we had sex, I wouldn't take my leg off because I thought, no, I can't let him see me like that. So, I mean, Angie, in your role, how do you kind of support and advise amputees who are maybe single and worried about that kind of physical intimacy? Yeah, uh, I think it, we're going. We keep going back to this this situation about allowing yourself time. I think a trusting relationship is about being able to have confidence in that person that you, you're with, and but again, not making assumptions. Right? Well, you know they're going to think this or they're going to think that if you're so if you're in an established relationship as a maybe a new amputee and then you return to the home and you're trying to adjust and then you're maybe ready for some kind of intimacy again how do you know how that other person is going to react have you got a crystal ball do you know 100% that this is how it's going to be you know maybe it won't be like that maybe it will but I think one thing one important factor here is communication Mm. and being able to you know get over that awkwardness of having those conversations but kind of preparing yourself to you know have a script ready you know what what is it you're going to say because it's about communicating your needs what is it I need from you to feel okay about this and making you know making positive choices for yourself not always being feeling less than the other person let's face it we've all got things we hang our coat on we've all got things about ourselves that that we don't like and it and it's being able to have that confidence in yourself to say right now this is how I am and but yet I want to almost prepare you for what's coming and you can only do that by having opening up a conversation opening up the dialogue Mm. building trust I guess and then uh, another thing is about being hypersensitive so you know when you've got a thought in your head you look for it don't you so you are you looking for a reaction so when you get one what do you what do you do with that so it's it's very I think it's very complicated but it's very unique I think maybe you know you don't have to always talk this through with a therapist a trusted friend bounce things off somebody else don't think you automatically have all the answers and you know best because here's some news for you You don't always (laughs) and and this trusted you know having somebody for support that's such a big deal or talking to somebody who's been through a 
similar experience or has had some sort of similar reactions, emotional reactions to you, you know, maybe have a have some sort of dialogue with them. You know, how did you feel about this? What what happened for you? How did you get over it? And there's lots of different ways today, fortunately, you can do that. Um, you know, there's social media, there's sort of, I think the main thing is an appropriate source of information. So, for example, you know, getting support from the Limits Association, trusted websites, people who can give you the right kind of support and the right kind of information. Yeah. And Leanne, you mentioned to me that in, in the past, you kind of struggled to watch your wedding video back because of the way you're walking in it. So for you then, how has body image kind of played a part in confidence when it comes to being in a long term relationship? Yeah, I think um, earlier on, when I was below me to go on a date with somebody who didn't know, and then once happened and they, I think we went to the cinema and he put his hand on my knee and was kind of like horrified what's that and didn't see him again so it says a lot about him more than me but but yeah when when I met my husband that then changed me I wanted to date people who knew about my leg before so I'd tell them that you know or they'd, they'd know me I'd date somebody who I knew but my husband, he's been through it all with me from uh, we got together about 12 months before I had to have my leg amputated further. So he knew and we had a few worries at first. He didn't know. We, I was 18. He was 21. So, you know, he wasn't sure if this was the right thing for him. Um first serious relationship and so yeah we had a few ups and downs and but he decided that that's what he didn't see me for just my leg it was it was more than that Mm. I still felt um I know Angie said about it's about trust as well and Mm -hmm. trusted him completely um I just it was more about myself I probably came a lot across a lot to him that I didn't trust him I felt like I wasn't good enough at times I felt like he'd be better with somebody who had two legs rather than one so I had issues in that way you know if he if he went out without me I'd always be thinking is is he finding somebody else with two legs but we've we've got through everything um and he's had it tough at times but he's always there for me and we just we get each other and he's completely now it's like a total flip side for him as well he's gone from having a wife who would hide behind him, you know, at the bar if I was having an off night and I wasn't feeling confident with what I was wearing. I would I'd want to I would never want to stand at the bar. I would always want to go and sit down mm. because obviously a couple of drinks in you look better sat down than you do stood up if you've only if you're a bit <laughs> wobbly sometimes in a pair of heels as well. So now it's a total flip side for him and he's He's got a wife who's full of confidence and not really caring about how... Well, I do care about how I look, but not caring about what others think mm. of how I look. And, yeah. But he, he loves to see how happy I am and see how confident I've become. So it's a big change for him as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've had so many worries and so many moans and complaints at him. And now he, I don't... Unless I'm told to rest or you know I'm fed up with something that's that's part that's it really Mm. so yeah 
Yeah. I once went on a date with someone um, who said to me, oh, you're limping a bit. Are you all right? And yeah. I just was like, yeah, I'm fine. I've just hurt my leg. Complete lie. I could have yeah. said I'm an amputee, but I just was like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And Angie, how important is it then for us to kind of come to that psychological place of accepting our body's kind of limitations and capabilities? And how important is that for our happiness? Uh, well, I think it's very important for happiness. It, it, it's, But it's a work in progress, isn't it? And it's going back to that thing again about, you know, lo- lowering the bar. I don't think necessarily that's not about lowering standards, um, but it's about lowering your expectations on yourself and accepting that this is, you know, it's a work in progress. Leanne just, just said it there, and th- and I hear this over and over again about people almost wanting to blend and kind of disappear and, um, you know, fall into the background and work into, you know, actually, who am I? You know, what 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 is it I want? I'm as equally important as anybody else in, you know, in a relationship or anything else. So I want to be an equal here. I want to, and having the confidence to be able to to do that, to to feel good about yourself when you do it. So I think it is this kind of process of change. And sometimes I think you can go, you can unwind a bit. And that's when sometimes people start to go into low mood and depression because they think, oh, here we go again. You know, actually, this is where I'm at now. I've been here before. and But it's been, it's allowing ourselves time to to say okay so I've had a bit I've had an off day I've had an off week or even a month and look at us now in these times we're living a lot of uncertainty none of us can control what's going on at the moment and um you know just allowing that actually you know I've gone backwards and I'm not just where I was but that doesn't mean to say you're not going to get back to where you were or progress even better and I think a mindfulness approach is really good then about kind of being in the present right like I said at the beginning today's not so good but that doesn't mean tomorrow and the next day is going to be the same and just being able to take that heat off ourselves but also um, as Leanne said it's about building resilience and and being able to you know take the knockbacks to take some of the unpleasantness and be able to say well actually this doesn't define me and this isn't who I am Oh, well, thank you both so much for talking to me today. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you both. So I'd like to leave you today on our final segment, which is called I'm Stumped, where every episode we relay your funniest and most bizarre memories of being an amputee. So this time that story comes from Melissa Oliver. So Melissa says, my friend's mum planned a birthday surprise for him. And after a lovely sunny afternoon, having had a relaxing barbecue, this big van appeared and started inflating this huge thing, something that was apparently chosen for its accessibility, according to his mum. So I took a big gulp knowing that whatever it was, I'd have to be the first on. It rose up and was a bucking bronco. I'm not one to shy away from things that made me look absolutely stupid, but I wouldn't have stood a chance on the thing with two legs. So after some help from my lovely friends, I graciously mounted the bull with some almighty shoves to the backside. Naturally, I lasted a maximum of nine seconds. (laughs) (laughs) 
So if you've been stumped in a similar way, we want to hear from you. Contact us through social media. And remember, to find out more about the charity, visit our website, www.limless-association.org. Thank you for listening. 